Hello, you're listening to a sermon provided by the First Presbyterian Church of Mayopac. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m., and you can watch us live either on Facebook or YouTube. And if you're in the area, there's always a seat saved for you. We hope that this message encourages you to continue growing in humility and faith. Thanks for listening. Our second reading this morning comes to us from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then that you, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Yet you have still a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. If you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes, and I will not blot out your name in the book of life. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears, let them listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that as your word has been read and as it is proclaimed, may it speak to us. May it kindle in us a fire of your love, of your passions, O God. As today we consider on this morning what it means to have a vision, a passion, the passions that you have instilled in us from the very beginning. Amen. This Sunday represents a challenge uh, for myself a challenge that I haven't really had to do that much in my time in ministry, which is to start talking about stewardship in a way that is theological, in a way that goes beyond just the dollars and cents of things, in a way that helps us to see that the ministry of the church is the driving force for us as we seek to be the hands and the feet of God, not only just here in this church, but also in our local community as well. But as I chose this passage to help us start thinking about stewardship, I know Revelation is not the first choice for many people, it reminded me of a story that I once heard about a very eccentric preacher who one Sunday told the congregation, I want everyone to come back later today because we are going to be having a special service. We're going to be holding a funeral for the church. Well, you can imagine that that piqued everyone's interest. So when evening came and when the church was full of both people who were members and people from the community who were interested in what a funeral service for the church would look like, the pastor stepped into the pulpit and began to preach. And when they were done, the minister asked the people sitting in the pews to come up, to come forward, and to walk past a small wooden casket that was situated up front. 
Not knowing what they would find, each person came forward only to discover a mirror inside and a reflection of themselves. And I should say that's not a commentary on anyone sitting out there right now. (laughs) But I say it because it's reflective of what we wrestle with and what the church in Sardis wrestled with. Because you see, the church in Sardis had a reputation of being great. The church in Sardis was established in a city that had accumulated a significant amount of wealth. And the church in Sardis had, in more ways than one, become like the very city itself, rich and powerful. Sardis was a place of trade and commerce. Merchants brought their goods into the city, and the revenue generated from those sales meant that Sardis was pretty secure. But it appeared that the church in Sardis, a church that had everything it needed to be successful in its ministry, had a problem. Perhaps it had a problem because the church in Sardis, because they had everything they needed, they eventually became lukewarm in following what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. Maybe it was because the church in Sardis tried so hard to hold on to the things that made it great that it became a church that lost its way instead. You see, we're not immune to the struggles and the temptations that the church in Sardis faced. The attraction of looking in the mirror and seeing only the things that make us great, the things that remind us of uh, of the fact that, you know, whether we were a community, a pillar in the community, the things that make us feel impervious to the sands of time, it's tempting to look back and only see those things. But the church in Sardis, the church today, is not invulnerable to that false sense of everything being okay. The misbelief that the status quo is what is to be maintained at all costs, the desire to look longingly back at the past as some ideal needs to be challenged, to be re-examined. The identity of the church of Sardis had become so enmeshed, so intertwined with its history and tradition, that the original mission of the church had become muddled, had become cloudy. The fire that had once kindled the church had now grown dim. No longer was there a priority to share this flame, this love, this passion, this community, the love of Christ. But instead, as I said before, the primary focus of the church had grown to one of preservation, of preserving the flame of, of the history, the tradition. It's easy for us to fall into a state of mind that focuses on self preservation. After all, there's bills to be paid. There's parts of the building that need to be fixed, leaky pipes and all. There are staff that we wish we had but had to cut. Not to mention that there are committees, there are schools that our kids go to, school activities, all the things that kids are involved with, jobs and hundreds of other things that need to be juggled while still being called to be a part of this thing we call the church. Things like this seem to get out of hand so easily. But when we begin to break it down, we find that most of these additions to our lives originated out of a desire to do something good. But just because something is good doesn't mean that it is still good or useful in the way that we thought it was. 
When we fixate on trying to remain the same or to preserve what was, we will discover that the vision for the future becomes not as clear as what we thought it was, as it mixes with our attempts to hold on to things still with both hands. Because you see, having a lack of vision for what the future holds can kill. Without a sense of purpose, without a sense of drive, the thing that pushes us to go above and beyond, what is that force then? As I had talked about before in, in, a, in the message, that the secular world has already understood how important this is, to have a driving force in order to keep us moving forward. Listen for a second to a few of these vision statements to see if you can recognize where they're from. This first one is, we believe that we are on the face of the earth to make great products, and that's not changing. We are constantly focusing on innovating. We believe in the simple, not the complex. Any guess as to who that would be? Did you say Apple, Mary? Yeah, you're right on, Apple. Here's a second one. Our vision is to create a better everyday life for many people. Now this is a contentious if you've ever had to put it together, but it's Ikea. Uh, <laughs> I, I might argue with them on that point. And the third one is this, is that we will aim to continuously promote harmony between people, society, and the environment while contributing to the prosperity of society. All right. Well, uh, some of you might drive this. It's Subaru. Uh, that is part of Subaru's mission statement. <laughs> you see, companies know that it's important to have a mission, a vision statement. They know it's not just, well, they know it's about making money, but there's something more as well. But creating a culture that sustains and drives them to do the next thing is what is very important. That is why we need to know who we are as people who are created to be God's own people, to be created in that holy image. It all comes down to what is at the core of who we are, how we define ourselves as a church. It's cultivating that sense that we will ultimately then strive to nurture a vibrant vision that is rooted in our identity in God. A vision of our mission, a vision of our time, talents, and devotion. Because if our vision stagnates or if our sense of who we are remains unchanging, then we will find ourselves falling into line with the church in Sardis. I apologize if I have told this story before because time starts to get muddled for myself, but I think it's a good example of what I'm trying to convey this morning. You see, one time I was leading a confirmation retreat for youth and their mentors, and besides doing things with the youth, I also did small groups for the adults who had come with them as well. And I admit, I don't pick favorites in these small groups, but I did have a favorite uh, whose name uh, was an older man named Denny. who I remember one time leading a plenary session on what it meant to be the church, quickly jumped in. During this discussion, uh, Denny had ch uh, chimed in, saying, you know, I'm really tired of some of the things my church does. All they do is debate. All they do is complain about how the church should be decorated. They're concerned about the flowers and the building, but they're not concerned about the people who make up the church. 
the people who are around us. When I walk outside of church on Sunday morning, I see that there is so much more that we can and should be doing. Yet all people ever seem to talk about is keeping things the same. When we talk about stewardship, we are talking about a mission, a vision, something that goes beyond, as I said, the dollars and cents of what it means to be the church. Of course, we want a budget that is sound, one that's solvent, but we want to also strive for something that is beyond, something that truly leans into the hope, the trust that God has given to us. A way that will allow our time and resources to continue to bring and usher in the excellent work that that has been and continues to be done. But to get to that place, it requires that we change the way we think about doing church. It means that we can't think about stewardship as strictly being monetary. Because there is a spiritual component. There's a spiritual component to this idea of stewardship that asks Why are we doing the things that we do? And what is the motivating force that drives us to give of our time, our talents, and our resources? You see, these are important questions. Because these are questions that the church in Sardis probably asked themselves. Because the church in Sardis was not necessarily a dead church. Maybe more aptly put, it was a church that was running on empty. Or put another way, the church in Sardis at this point was most likely being heated by a tea candle instead of a robust furnace. Either way, the point I'm trying to make is that there is something still alive, still moving. So what is the Spirit of God saying to the church today? What is the Spirit of God saying to you, to me, to us as a church? Where do we see the Spirit leading us today, tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow? We don't know what the tomorrow will bring, but we can find strength in the fact that those who have come before us have laid a foundation to discern where God is calling us to be. We always want to talk about what it means to be a church in the 21st century, but why don't we ever act on it? I think that starting today would be better than starting tomorrow and would be an excellent place for us to reimagine what the church could be as we join with other churches who are in the same process of reimagining what it means to be the hands and the feet of Christ in the world. And that is what it means to be faithful stewards and to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a process of discerning. It's a process of prayer, a process of trusting that as we give and go out into the world, God's work will be done. So I'll ask again, what is the Spirit of God saying to you, to us today? What is the Spirit of God saying we need to let go and prune in order to bear fruit? What is the Spirit of God saying we need to embrace in order to become the full body of Christ? And how is the Spirit of God calling you to serve? Let us rekindle that fire that dwells within all of our hearts. And if we dare ask ourselves these questions, may we find that there is something great and hopefully something unexpected to be discovered.
Thanks again for listening, and we will hold you in prayer as we head into a new week. If you'd like to learn more about our church and ministry, or if you'd like to learn how you can support us, you can visit our website at mayopacchurch.org. Until next week, God bless.